Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. On April 14th, 2019, Sharon Morrow was bringing supplies to the homeless people living in downtown St. Louis. It was cold and wet that Palm Sunday. She was distributing ponchos, gloves, and hats. Morrow often does that work. She's the co-founder of Tent Mission STL. Uh, that's an organization that's focused on helping homeless St. Louisans. But there was nothing typical about that day's efforts. In fact, the ACLU very recently filed a lawsuit over what happened next. And joining me to talk about what happened that day is Sharon Morrow. Sharon, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sarah. So the police came to the homeless encampment you were at that Palm Sunday. Did they give a reason for being there? Uh, No, they simply... um, started to arrest a gentleman that was sitting in a bus stop. Okay. And that arrest, it got pretty ugly. Um, You captured this all on video. What happened as you began to film this? Uh, Well, I often film the police um, when I'm out there um, engaging with the unhoused population. Um, And uh, we, they arrested one man sitting in a bus stop and we filmed that. And then they approached another gentleman who was literally just standing there doing nothing, and they began to arrest him um, where he laid down on the floor being passive. And uh, then they called in a bunch of guys, and they jumped on him, and they tried to pull him down. And Oh, I'm sorry, he was already laying down, and uh, uh, they tried to cuff him and roll him around and tase him uh, multiple times. Uh, it was It was pretty ridiculous. There, he he broke no law. He followed their orders. It was really ridiculous. And you captured all this on video, and you can actually see this video that you shot. It's at uh, on the Riverfront Times website. Um, and, uh, yeah, this video, this is a, a very disturbing arrest. But the police told you to leave, and you got in your car. You were just sitting in your car. That's when an officer pounded on the window and ordered you to get out, and then he arrested you. Did he give a reason for doing that? Uh, not when he was doing it, not at all. Um, he told me that I had to leave, uh, and I it said, I really don't. This is public. I'm legally parked. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not breaking the law. But he, um, you know, pulled me out of the car. And uh, honestly, the uh, gear shift was in drive when he pulled me out. So I was like, I have an older model car. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, I was literally, while they were pulling me out, my right hand was trying to put my gear into park so I wouldn't hit the car in front of me, which was a police car. I was surrounded by police cars. Yeah, and as, as you were trying to tell this officer, you can hear this on this video. You can hear your car is on. I think you can even hear your turn signal. You felt like Correct. you just didn't have the visibility to pull out at that point. Is, is that what was going on? I did not, and I was I was pretty fortunate. Um, so my dad taught me ten and two on the wheel. So my hands were ten and two, and uh, the phone was in uh, the ten position, and it, it it actually caught my mirror, and you can see a police uh, cruiser behind me um, blocking my view. <laughs> so it's pretty clear that I can't just pull out. I mean, it is downtown. I you have to look twice downtown anytime you want to go anywhere. You know. Right. So this is all captured on video. It's 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 disturbing. Then there's another video that kind of picks up the scene from there. And you can't see the police pulling you out of the car, but you can see bystanders reacting to how the police treated yeah. you. And they are freaking out. A woman cries. Her face, her face hit the concrete. What happened as they pulled you out of this car? 
Yeah, she's, um, I know her. Um, I, there, I didn't know this at the time, but I was told after. There was about 30 different homeless people watching because they all know me. I just gave them dry clothes. And, you know, it was so cold, people couldn't even put gloves on. Mm-hmm. Their hands were tight. Um, so <clears throat> um, when they, they pulled me out, it, it happened so fast. It all happened so fast that I, um, you know, it was, it was painful. I can tell you that much what mm-hmm. they did. Um, um, but yes, they did slam my face into asphalt. And uh, the young lady, uh, the lady that was screaming her face, every time I watch that video, I cry mm-hmm. just to hear her voice. Um, you know, she, you know, I've been working with her for quite some time. Um, and it was really traumatizing for all of the unhoused that watched it because mm-hmm. they know that I'm there to serve. So yeah, they, they you didn't can... understand. You can hear a, a woman on, on this video shouting, this isn't right. She's a Christian. She's been helping us for 15 years. You're getting some real support. I mean, as much as I'm sure it's traumatic to hear how upset people were about this arrest, it also has to feel maybe good that people were trying to stick up for you at this point. Absolutely. I have to say that that uh, unhoused people out there are so loving and compassionate, and they absolutely always have my back. They're very kind people. Mm-hmm. Um because they know that I'm going to show up. Now, you had had some some health issues even before this. How did what happened to you that day end up impacting your body and, and your health going forward? Oh, okay. So first of all, I, in the video, you can literally see my body torque. Um, so when, after they pulled me, I literally, I knew I was in for it. So I kept screaming, I've had 28 surgeries, I've had breast cancer to try and give them, I'm disabled. I just repeated that over and over so hopefully they wouldn't hurt me. Mm -hmm. Um, But it didn't matter. They didn't care. And you can see my body torque because I had reconstructive surgery Mm -hmm. on my left um, breast because I'm a cancer survivor. And so everything doesn't really work the way it's supposed to. So I literally torqued when they... put my hand behind my back and then because I I was born with bilateral rigid severe club foot Mm. um, I have limitations with my ankles and how I walk I also have a hip issue so when that occurred um, when when I was cuffed I couldn't really walk I they kind of drugged me Mm. they kept dragging me because I couldn't keep up and I tried to tell them that I'm disabled I cannot do this but they didn't they didn't want to hear it um and then they tried to get me into the vehicle, the paddy wagon. I don't know. They have like a divider between them, and it's a very narrow space. And they're like, step up, step up, get in there. And I'm like, I can't. I told you I am disabled. I cannot do this. Um, and they just were not hearing anything I had to say. So it was really it was wrong. What they did was wrong. Hmm. And I do want to say, um, you've said that not every police interaction was bad that day after they made you get into the paddy wagon. You said that the officer who was driving actually helped you and, and even uncuffed he you. He did. He was a black police officer that was driving the wagon and he uncuffed me so I could get out because I literally had to like, I, the only reason I was able to get into the vehicle is because of, um, I have to stretch every day to walk, so I'm very flexible. Hmm. So I was, I literally, with my hands behind my back, I don't know how I did it, but I literally lifted my leg up over my head to get in. That's the only way. And then I had to, like, walk with my booty <laughs> on my rear end into the thing. But when I got out, the guy took my cuff off so I could. And that was excruciating because once you 
you know, once your hand is in a position and then released, all of those nerves were fired up and I could feel them tearing um, the surgery, the, re, you know, the, my muscles and my, I guess it's a, I could, I could just feel all of it tearing mm. when they were pulling me. Um, so it was extremely painful Ugh. and I'm, I still feel it today. I still have, now I have extra nerve stuff that wasn't really an issue because it had been so long it had healed and now I'm re, you know, I have to walk the wall again. And I, if you're a breast cancer survivor, you know what I'm talking about, but I have to do all of those things. Um, so I can, so I can do stuff so mm. I can do the work outside. So there was a, a very bad lasting impact from this interaction. And I know you were out of there by 10 or 11 p.m. that night. They dropped all the charges extremely shortly. But that is not the end of this. How did the ACLU of Missouri end up getting involved? Well, um, I contacted, okay, so um, this National Lawyers Guild of St. Louis um, sent um, a gentleman to my home. His name is Scott Campus. He's amazing. And he came to my home after I went to the hospital. My friend Brad Sarno took me to the hospital. And uh, afterwards, uh, we he sat in my living room and we talked about what do you want from this. And I wanted to hold the police accountable um, because what happened, you can clearly see on the video, it was unnecessary. It was an abuse of power. It was harmful to the community. And it happened right on City Hall property, mm-hmm. right right on City Hall. And it was, and it was all unnecessary. I, I feel like there wasn't a lot happening. It was a cold, wet, calm Sunday. And I don't know if they were bored. I don't know what they were doing, but none of it made sense. None of what they did made sense. Mm -hmm. And all three of the arrests that occurred. So the ACLU of Missouri has now filed a lawsuit on your behalf, and they are alleging that the police arrested you in retaliation for you exercising your First Amendment rights there uh, to record this. And we do want to mention, we reached out yesterday to the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department. A spokesperson said that the department does not comment on pending litigation. That's a longstanding policy there, so they are not commenting. But uh, Sharon, your, your, your lawsuit here, uh, again, filed by the ACLU of Missouri, it names two St. Louis police officer. That's Stephen Ogunjobi and Jacob Stein. What would you like to see happen to these two officers? I would like to see them lose their badge. I, I, I don't believe uh, that they need to be out on the street. I think they're harmful to the public. Um, and we do want to note uh, the Riverfront Times, which, again, they have these videos uh, that, that you shot and that a bystander shot. They did some reporting on this, and, and uh, the reporter notes this is at least the third time the city has been sued for an interaction involving Officer Ogunjobi. A pastor, that is correct. Uh, they write, a pastor and another advocate were cited by the officer in October of 2018 for handing out sandwiches to the homeless. The ensuing lawsuit mm-hmm. alleges that the city violated the men's constitutional rights, including the right to freely exercise their religion. They that case is still pending. And in February, a jury awarded University City's school board president more than $3,000 in a lawsuit she filed after Ogunjobi shocked her three times with a taser following a 2015 protest. It sounds like at least one of these officers, he does have a history of, of perhaps overreacting to some of these things. He does. Uh, Ogunjobi um, has a pattern of uh, abusing his uh, power. 
So, so bigger picture here, uh, this officer Ogunjobi, one of these other incidents um, involves him citing people for handing out sandwiches to the homeless. And this is very, very similar to the work that you're doing there. I want to talk just a little bit about the relationship between the police and the homeless right now. Um, what is that relationship like these days in this pandemic that we're in? Oh, it's terrible. Um, the um, the Cruson administration... Um, and the downtown bike patrol are literally pushing um, homeless people from one area to another. And the only thing that um, my group, uh, our group, um, believes is they just don't want them to be seen. Hmm. So they just push them into, they want to push them into areas where people cannot see them, which then cuts them off um, to resources and puts them in unsafe areas. I, I know there were some pretty public cases happening a couple months ago where the city was breaking up these encampments. Has that continued to happen? And there's been six um, encampments that have been disbanded, including this morning um, down on um, Market Street between Clark and 14th, the building that used to be the civil, I believe the civil courts building, maybe mm-hmm. um, a private owner owns that. And um, he is, I guess, what we were told wants to come up with the funds to put a gate up. So while um, he's trying to get that together, the city used the police budget and ours, as well as the city, either parks or streets department, probably streets department, to put a gate around that private building, Hmm. uh, which I don't understand why we're using public funds to protect a private building. And, and what's um, the net impact of having that gate up? How does that affect the people who had been it, living there? It takes away um, a shaded area. It takes away a, a, a safe area that's close to resources where providers have access to them. We were there yesterday afternoon handing out snack bags, Gatorade, water, T-shirts, socks, underwear, that kind of stuff. And what happens then when, you know, there's no longer a shaded area, there's no place for people to congregate? Are they just spreading throughout the city? Are they moving just a couple blocks away? What's your sense of of how that's impacting these camps? Well, I have to, um, I don't know about exactly where they're at right now, uh, just because I haven't been there. But uh, yeah, they just get shifted for a few blocks away to another area and they try and hide. Um, You know, it's really unfortunate that we have people that are struggling for basic needs, water, food, health care, all of those things, shelter, um, they are struggling for basic needs. And instead of our city saying, hey, let's do what we can to, um, you know, support folks, they're doing everything they can to inhibit people that are volunteers to supporting them. I mean, the guy that got uh, cited for giving out sandwiches, I work with him. I know who he is. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, they, it, it, they're not supporting citizens or outreachers that are doing the work, serving the homeless population. They're doing everything they can to make it harder. Like, I have to constantly call the city, why are you locking this border potty? You know, mm-hmm. why? Why are they doing things? You know, why did you take away hand washing stations? There's a pandemic happening. And really, um, the, city, the city has a terrible um, attitude towards the homeless population. They'd rather just have them be gone. And that is not something that we're willing to allow have to happen. 
Sharon, what do you see as the biggest needs right now um, among the homeless population? Is there any way that, that people who are hearing this could help? We need space. We need space. Um, there are no cooling shelters in St. Louis City right now. Um, now, they're going to say, oh, they can go to the library. Well, in order to go to the library, you have to have a reservation. Well, who who has access to a phone or the Internet if they're living outside? Mm-hmm. Not very many people. Um, so we need cooling centers. We also need individual um, hotel rooms because it is covid the COVID is, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We need individual uh, spaces for people to live. Um, we need um, more support from the city, like have less obstructions from um, outreachers doing their work. Um, so there's a whole lot of need right there. I mean, just hearing about this, it's almost overwhelming, all the things that you would need to see changed in order to have basic quality of life. We need, we need public space. They won't even, for years, uh, they have been saying, Hey, guys, if you go to 14th and Market, there's a park right there. We won't arrest you. Mm-hmm. Well, now, now, they, now they're not allowed even in the parks. Their citizens of our city are not allowed to be in the parks. That makes no sense. Makes no sense. Well, Sharon, this is um, it's just so sobering to hear about. And so many of us just look away and, and don't deal with these issues. And it's great to hear that you guys, these volunteers are here trying to advocate for this. And in your case, uh, facing arrest, um, facing some real trouble over that. And we're going to stay on top of this issue. We want to also stay on top of your lawsuit that the ACLU is going to be pursuing. Um, and so we want to wish you the best of luck in, in both of those endeavors. And, and please stay in touch with us. I- for sure. Will do. Thank you so much for uh, for covering um, all of these very important issues. Thank you. And, and uh, that was Sharon Morrow, who joined us today. Um, and we do want to stress again that we did reach out to the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department for comment, but they do not comment on pending litigation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.